Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardware. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the official podcast of Slash Film. Today, what we're going to be doing is uh, our last episode of the year, 2016. Uh, we'll be sending it off with style. We got a huge what we've been watching segment for you guys, and then uh, moving on into Assassin's Creed. That's going to be the whole episode because uh, I think that's going to occupy you know the full time period. So uh, yeah, that's all we've got for you. Find more episodes of our podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail. Dot com. It's been a couple weeks since we've recorded the Slash Filmcast. We've been recording these episodes kind of two at a time and then spacing them out in terms of release, which has been nice because then we get a week off, but it's also been a little intense uh, because we're doing you know a full three, four-hour recording in one sitting. Uh, and so in the last time, since the last time we've recorded, I have lived an entire lifetime <laughs> because I've had the flu. <laughs> Uh, and been recovering from that. And so, uh, yeah, it, you, know, you know, I was reading up on what is the difference between the flu and the cold. Do you guys know what the difference is? Uh, yeah. One's you, feed the, you feed yeah. the cold and you starve the fever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Here's, here's my difference, though, because I was reading, like, the CDC's website about, like, the difference between flu and cold. Mm-hmm. And apparently... Uh, it's very difficult for people to the, tell the difference because a flu, often the symptoms are the same. They're just more intense. Yes. But I have arrived at a system. I call it the Dave Chen test uh, for the difference between the flu and the cold. Uh, the difference is uh, if you have the cold, you don't feel like you're going to die. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> pretty, pretty simple test. if there. you have the flu, uh, you feel like, hey, uh, maybe I'm not going to climb back out of this. Uh, maybe I don't want to climb back out of this. <laughs> maybe I j- just let the cold embrace of death the take me away. Quits. That's yeah. exactly right. And cold embrace it is. I was, I'm like shivering. I have like an electric heating pad on me. Anyway. Yeah. It was, well, Dave, it, it, I don't know which of us had the worst week. Yours sounds horrible, but I'm moving. So... <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no. I don't I guess. know what's worse. I don't know what I'd rather. You both want to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I'd rather yeah. do less is uh, I don't know. I don't, it's, yeah. a, it's a toss up for me. It's a tough call. It's a tough Dave, call. did you get a flu shot this year? I did not get a flu shot. I've gotten flu shots okay. in previous years, and I've it's worth it, often... even if it's like thirty percent effective. That chance of like reclaiming a week of your life. Yeah, right. It's uh, worth it. It's like if guys. you could inconvenience yourself for thirty minutes now and then yeah. save a week of your life later, would you do it? And most people say no. But uh, they should make the opera calculation. So it. it's uh, it's also good for your health if uh, you know you've weakened immune systems. If you're older, flus can be deadly too. Yeah, but on the other hand, needles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tiny needle, you know, compared know. to so many others. Anyway, uh, thanks for uh, for tuning in this week. And uh, if my voice is a little bit crappier than usual, uh, that's why. So. Before we get into today's episode, uh, I do want to acknowledge one thing. In the last uh, episode of the Slash Filmcast, uh, we talked about Rogue One. Uh, We had our Rogue One spoiler special, and we got a bunch of emails that were essentially the same uh, sentiment as this email I'm going to read from uh, Ellie Nasser. Ellie writes in, Thanks for putting out a great slash filmcast week after week. I enjoyed your discussion of Star Wars Rogue One very much. Overall, I really liked the film and thought it much better than I had expected. It told a good story with mostly excellent characters and performance. 
the CG work was outstanding as well. Now, the CG is what brings me to sending you this email. I'm not a Star Wars geek. I like the movies, but I do not, do not have a close connection to them or the characters. I do not read much, if anything, specifically about Star Wars or follow any boards. I had no idea who Peter Cushing was and did not know he passed away. When I saw the character of Tarkin in the film, I did not already know that he was a CG character. So when you mostly, especially David, so harshly criticized the character as horrific and so badly done, I really was shocked. I'm not talking about should Disney have ethically done this or not shocked. I'm simply saying that now that they did, it was remarkably well done. I am not the only one that thought so. Pretty much everyone I spoke with who did not already know about the CG Tarkin did not notice anything wildly off about it. This includes my wife, various friends, and some online commentators. My theory is that you had a negative reaction to the CG Tarkin because you already knew he was. If you had no clue, I do not think you would have been so taken out of the movie because of it. Possible? Question mark. That email comes in from Ellie, who writes into slash filmcast.gmail.com, uh, basically saying, hey, uh, the CG Grandma of Tarkin. So, you know, that's it. at this point, the cat is out of the bag, in my opinion. People are, the Guardian is publishing it in headlines about CG Grandma of Tarkin, so I don't feel bad giving it away. Yeah, that there people is a did that CG, the first day of release, too. <laughs> there so. is a CG right. version of Grandma of Tarkin in uh, the new Star Wars film, Rogue One. And a bunch of people emailed in because we had a pretty lengthy segment on our spoiler special saying that uh, the CG Grandma Tarkin did not look good uh, and was very obviously CG. A bunch of people emailed in saying, hey, I saw the movie with so-and-so or I saw the movie and I didn't know about it. Uh, so let me say this in the way of confession is that we recorded that spoiler special Probably about 24 hours after I had actually, I had actually seen the film. So I, I had not done as much research into the movie or had as much time to th- sit and think about the movie and read analyses of the movie as I typically like. And that's why in that episode, I did not know who Peter Cushing was or that he had passed away. I could have brought up, for instance, the fact that another actor has played Grand Moff Tarkin in the prequel trilogy. You know, I could have brought that stuff up. But I didn't bring any of that up because I didn't know. That Peter Cushing had passed away. Wait, I thought um, we did bring that up. Yeah, uh, we, we did, dude. We did. I don't think we brought up the fact that there was another actor that had played. We didn't bring up that, but yeah, 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 the no. idea that he's dead. Yeah, yeah, and... no, you you brought up that he passed away, but I'm saying I'm saying I didn't even know that at the time that we started right. recording. You had to bring that up to me, uh, right. and so firstly, a the point. My point is twofold. A, I feel bad that uh, I was not quite as well researched as I would have liked to be before that episode, but B. Uh, I did not know that Peter Cushing had passed away. I was in yours. I was in your situation, Ellie. Um, I didn't know any of that drama or what had gone on there, or that his estate had let uh, them use, you know, his image in the movie or anything like that. So I had just instantly recognized uh, his demeanor as the uncanny valley. Grandma Tarkin's demeanor as the uncanny valley of video game characters uh, when I saw him. You know in the theater. But that is my reaction. And I think what's clear from all the emails this week is that other people have differing reactions. Um, Jeff, has your experience with people and this character uh, been yeah. different, right? Like, yeah, I've gotten many, uh, many of those same kinds of uh, tweets. And in fact, uh, friends have, have texted me and said, I just went and saw rogue one again with my parents over the holiday. They thought it was amazing that, that they brought that actor back. They didn't realize, you know. I, I, I mean, close friends have said the, the same kind of thing, and you know, great. There's not. I, I don't. 
Yeah. It's not going to change my view of that character, right. which is It doesn't that, discount the problems we brought up. For yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, mean, is, I mean, yeah, I'm glad you had an awesome experience. Right. It is not and the it, same experience we had. Right? I, I still think it was a the wrong decision, but yeah. I will say this. Um, there's an old sort of saw that says, uh, you know, a, a, an actor's uh, accent in a film, it, the quality of the accent that an actor uses is oftentimes in direct proportion to how much you know about the actor beforehand. Mm. So if you if you know an actor talks a certain way and then in a movie they talk a different way, most of the time that's why you think the accent is not good. But if you even if it's a terrible version of an accent and you just did you didn't know that you didn't know that actor was Australian, but they in this movie they're speaking with an American accent. Most people don't notice bad accents if they just assume that's the way the person talks normally. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that's kind of the same phenomenon happening here. If you're not – there are some people for whom they're just not looking for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think those of us that are a little savvier with regard to visual effects, I think it sticks out like a sore thumb. But for yeah. a lot of people, it doesn't. I'm a little worried about what that means, though, for it's not just about knowing Peter Cushing or his acting style. Like, I'm not intimately familiar with the dude aside from Star Wars and some of his horror films. Uh, But we're humans and we can recognize (laughs) other humans. Right. Like, what is you'd think this is is like that study. Do you guys remember that study that uh, basically is comparing music compression rates? Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's uncompressed. There's like wave files. Right. And then there are. Uh, MP3 files, right? And generally, the worse it uh, sounds, like the more compressed it is. So you get to 320 kbps, 128 kbps. Uh, the lower that number is, the more background noise there is, the more digital noise there is, artifacts, right? It's bad. And essentially, a study found that not only do younger people uh, like not really know the difference between uncompressed and more compressed. They actually prefer the compressed version, right? Right. Uh, they actually prefer the lower bitrate MP3. They actually That's like why it. In the, yeah. in the future, like everyone will will prefer digital actors to real ones. <laughs> I, this is the start. Well, that's what Devendra is bring. Devendra is bringing up that specter. No, uh, no pun intended. That like. Hey, maybe people will actually like these CG creations or, or like them more, you know, because they can't even tell the difference right now. Yeah, I don't mean, uh, know if it's about liking them. If it's more like they just they don't care, right? They right. don't recognize the difference. And if it's that like good enough thing of you know music compression that has led us down the road of like you know not having as good quality music. Uh, files in general and now we live in a world of compression and you know people have been living with low quality files for years I, I am a little worried about what this means for like the future of acting I know you didn't like the Congress very much Dave but that did present a world where Agreed. you know actors were digitized and the uh, the idea the essence of acting I think was transformed at that point because you can make them do anything and the actual actor you know just gets retired yeah is well, can it actually be called it. acting at that point yeah because the, they can't they can't legally act in that movie once they give up their image yeah and and i think that's absolutely going to happen i think yeah. at a certain point you're going to just be able to cast whomever you want regardless of whether they're alive mm-hmm. or what age they are but but i think the equivalent to the um getting used to compression argument is how often and prevalent 
and and I think most people aren't even aware of this, but how prevalent digital makeup is becoming, and that right, right. it's not it's not even a CG actor. It's the it's in the same way that compression did for music. It's sort of just graying what we see more and more from reality. It's Mm -hmm. these, there's so many actors that use digital makeup and it's going to only get more common as it gets cheaper that the CG ness of Grand Moff Tarkin is going to seem less uncanny Valley because real actors are going to have that sort of Mm -hmm. uh, CG element on their faces all the time. And the tech is going to get better too. So it's like right. we're it's going to be these like converging points where yeah, it's going to be worrisome. But I have to say like I watched uh, Rogue One with my wife and pretty quickly she was like that what is wrong with that dude? <laughs> like yeah, it just d- don't look right. Oh, she's oh, a keeper. She's a keeper, Javindra. Yeah. She's a keeper. Well, I know that for sure. But it's also like guys, like uh, in the future if we were invaded by like a race of uh, aliens, you know, trying to mimic humans, I'd like to think We'd have the ability to be like, hey, what? What's up with that dude? The way that they win, they right. the way that they win is that they uh, they create entertainment for us. Exactly, exactly. They get us used to their stilted, uh, stiff movement, and uh, it's normalized. And then eventually, uh, real people start doing it, and you know, they invade. A few things. You guys have said a bunch of things I want to respond to. Firstly, <laughs> Devendra, the Congress. I did not like the movie, but the first ten minutes was very compelling. Yeah. And how they bring up the idea of scanning your face in and becoming in, you know, having you become an actor. It's Second, worth a rewatch right now. Yeah, worth worth considering again. Second point, uh, Jeff Kanata, uh, you were saying, oh, it's going to be the way they do things. It is already the way they do things. No, I believe yeah, I people need to submit to a scan now uh, in some major big budget pictures. Right. In the event that that uh, actor dies during production. Uh, and so that way they can use their digital self to right. complete the film, right? It's like in Trump's America, I'm, I understand that we all need to submit to a scan. <laughs> uh, that's anyway. my understanding. Um, so anyway, yeah, so that's already happening. And then the other thing I wanted to say is we, we didn't really talk about the ethics of reviving a dead person like and, and and whether we have any problems with that or doesn't this can an estate even do that because that's very different from just like licensing right you know someone's image to something and we don't really have any expertise no. in law or anything like that but like how does it make you feel overall yeah. from a from a moral perspective do you feel oh hey yeah once someone's image is famous you know and out into the world we uh, mm-hmm. it, it belongs to the world. We should be able to use it whenever we want. Or should their their image – should they at the very least need to sign off on something like this? Should they, they need to be yeah. alive to sign off on something like this? I'd feel better if it was the actors themselves signing off and saying, hey, OK, I agree to this. Uh, but the thing is, like, guys, once they have these things, they can do anything. Like, we will have, yeah. like, sex scenes with these digital things. Like, who knows, like, if a studio will eventually do something even pornographic. You know, they could. There's nothing stopping really? them. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, oh, it's one thing to have Grand Moff Tarkin show up again in a Star Wars movie. But, you know, it's not that long ago. It's probably Mm -hmm. a decade or more now. But do you remember when Fred Astaire danced with a vacuum cleaner on television? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing. It's going to be this kind of crass commercialism that feels really distasteful when it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to revive Prince and put him in a commercial. It's like that's everything that he hated. For like Audrey Hepburn, they did that for the chocolate commercial, right? So, yeah. same thing. Or, you know, yeah. hologram Tupac, whatever. It's all the same. Like, the holograms bring the holograms back, or these digital in, you know, incarnations. Yeah. The other thing that I brought up earlier on in this episode that I did not mention during our recording of the spoiler special is that uh, another actor has played Grand Moff Tarkin, right? Yes. Uh, Wayne Pygram 
Play Grand Moff Tarkin in uh, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, throw away some work. <laughs> it's very odd that they did not use yeah. him in, in uh, Rogue One. I, I mean, I think yeah. the, the reason makes sense uh, without giving anything away about Rogue One – there is a very strong continuity between Rogue One and Episode Four. Let's say, like uh, Rogue One leads pretty directly to the yeah. events of Episode Four, and so uh, I understand you want the continuity in terms of the appearance of the actors. Uh, but I, I think do that still, was. Yeah, it I, sounded like that was part of the pitch too. Like from when this idea started, like oh, we have the technology to do this too. Like this is. We're going to be showing this off in a way. But, you know, in the olden days, when somebody died, you recast the character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just – I think the thing that really kind of uh, surprised me when I learned about that or remembered that, I should say, is that uh, like we've seen another actor play Grand Moff Tarkin before. So mm-hmm. it, it's – the continuity has already been broken is what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Like there's already that yeah. fracture between – previous films and then you know the films afterwards so why not at least if you had had wayne pygram play grand moff tarkin there would have been at least some kind of continuity there right uh anyway you know look him up his uh portrayal as grand moff tarkin is kind of interesting like uh they use makeup to achieve the same effect and so you can decide for yourself what would have been more or less distracting, but uh, it just seemed like a missed opportunity there to make that work as well. Uh, I felt like they they got so caught up with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should uh, with exactly. regards to CG Peter Cushing in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, guys? I think that's about it. Um, thanks for writing in to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll probably have some after dark on Rogue One, uh, you know, a couple weeks from now, uh, just because there's probably more to discuss there. But uh, really appreciated all the response to that review. Let's move on to what we've been watching. Jeff Kanata, I got to ask you a question. Okay, ask me a question. What is the plot of Collateral Beauty? Do you know? <laughs> I, um, have you seen the trailer? I have not seen the trailer. Okay, I didn't. Do not see trailers. Okay. Um, well, then never mind. I my yeah. my. I can try to come up with one. No, I know no, that no, never mind, Will never mind. Smith and uh, Helen Mirren uh, <laughs> are uh, talking to each other at some point. Wow. And, is, uh, I thought you'd never seen a trailer. This must have been an no, online still or something. It's a poster. Yeah. Nice. So, I think uh, somebody I'm, says Collateral Beauty. Div- Divindra, did you read about Collateral Beauty? You know I knew. I've seen the trailer. Okay, I have so read based, about it. Based on the but, trailer, what is the plot of Collateral Beauty? Uh, Will Smith. Uh, I think grieving over the death of his child. You got it so far, yeah. Yeah. Writes to the literal incarnations of death, love, and other things. Correct. Like that's that's what I've yep. got from the trailer. Good so far. Good so far. Uh, and then his friends really want to support him. Yeah, and then but then he gets visited by the actual the those actual, actual incarnations, yes. right? Yes. Like time and death and love, they actually come visit him. Because right? that's a framework for a movie. What? <laughs> no, it is. It is. It's uh it's like uh, a modern day Christmas Carol, right? Yes, modern day Christmas Carol. Uh, so I saw a couple movies this week: Passengers and Collateral Beauty, uh, which make for a great gaslighting double feature. Uh, because both of these movies are in some ways about gaslighting, um, not just the characters within, but also the audience at large. They both have incredibly deceptive trailers, and I'm going to give away the premise of these films that you don't see in the trailer. People think they're spoilers when you give away what the premise of the movie is, but it's not a spoiler. It's just the premise, 
and the trailer has completely deceived you about what the movie is. Okay? Uh, so if you don't want to hear the premise of these movies, skip forward. But otherwise, here it comes. Collateral Beauty is a movie that I saw with uh, Matt Singer. We reviewed it for the Slash Filmcast. We have a bonus episode up. I'd strongly encourage you to listen to it because it is one of my favorite podcast episodes of the year uh, where we uh, uh, Will Smith is grieving over the death of his daughter. And uh, he, he, as you said, Devendra, his, uh, his friends are really concerned with him. Uh, but not only that, they want to sell the company that they all started together. And Will mm-hmm. Smith is like the star of the company. He's like the big, the big dog of the company. But he doesn't give a crap about the company anymore because his daughter is dead, you see. So he's been grieving over his daughter for two years. And he doesn't want to do any work. He doesn't want to do any deals or anything like that. And his friends are like, hey, our life's work is going to evaporate unless we get Will Smith out of this funk. So... Uh, Will Smith they, is so funky. How do you? How do you? How can you stop his funk? So they so, so hire. clearly, Dave. The plan is to support their friend emotionally and uh, <laughs> help him get better, right? So they find out that they hire a private investigator. They find out Will. They steal Will Smith's mail, okay. and they find out that he's been writing letters to time, uh, love, and death. As so possible. they commit a federal crime. As, okay. yeah, that's yeah. right. So far, no, oh, that's not even the worst of it. Uh-huh. And then they hire actors. To portray time, uh, death, and love, to go and talk to Will Smith, so that so why why are they doing this? So that they can film Will Smith talking to these characters, digitally remove the actors, and then submit that footage to the board of their company as evidence that Will Smith is insane. <laughs> that is the premise of Collateral Beauty. <laughs> Uh, and see. if that sounds incredibly, this is their friend, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. They are about to do one of the worst things possible you could do to someone, and uh, that is the premise of the film. So uh, I'm going to, you know, leave the rest of the conversation about this movie to the bonus episode I recorded with Matt Singer. But suffice to say, you uh, it. it. It is horrible. <laughs> it, it is a horrible film, morally reprehensible. I think Matt called it vile. Yeah. Uh, that uh, and I'll just say the movie makes these friends out to be like the heroes of the movie. Like they, it's it's try, it implies that they, they are helping him, that right? they are the ones doing the right thing in this uh, uh, in this movie. Okay. So right. well, is he not the fact that he's writing letters to concepts? Is he not a little? Uh, no, I mean you can you know people let off people grieve in specific ways. They let off mm-hmm. steam in specific ways. There are all sorts of crazy twists in this movie. All <laughs> sorts of crazy twists. And it is just absolutely nuts. Uh, so, is it I, so bad? It's fun. It's definitely not so bad. It's fun because it is incre- <laughs> incredibly downtrodden, dour affair uh, of uh, talking about child death. Oh. I don't know how Will Smith keeps getting into these projects too, because I, I don't know if you saw Seven Pounds, Dave, but it's another like holiday uh, emotional drama, which is completely ridiculous. Like yeah. he, he just keeps getting he, into something these he weird wants. He's, he's reaching for something. I mean, I think he's reaching for a role that will give him an Oscar, right? And, yeah, yeah. And this movie does uh, let him show off some some waterworks and stuff, but uh, you know, it's it's not the right movie because the tone is so odd for what is actually happening in the movie. Like it's about a bunch of friends sabotaging their best friend 
in a major way, trying to make him think he's hallucinating so that they can steal control of his company. And uh, it is played like a very upbeat sitcom Christmas special. And it's just very, very odd. And, yeah. uh, and the movie, by the way, at the box office was uh, catastrophic. Like, it did very badly. It, it was Will Smith's worst opening film since, like, um, Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think. So uh, it did very poorly, and it, it deserves to do very poorly, in my opinion. It advocates for awful human behavior, and it should be seen by no one. But if you are going to see it, uh, or if you don't care, at the very least, check out our review of it uh, on a bonus slash filmcast. I should also point out, we had another bonus slash filmcast too, right, Devendra? Um, you did a bonus episode about Moonlight with Angie Han. So, I did, yes. Because uh, uh, I wanted to have a, like, a long discussion about that. So yeah. definitely check that episode out. Check that out. out as well. So uh, some bonus episodes this, this uh, month because there's just so many uh, movies we wanted to talk about. Uh, Devendra chose Moonlight. I chose Collateral Beauty. That tells you a lot about our priorities. Um, yes. And, by the way, uh, <laughs> okay, but I mentioned two films in the gaslighting special, yeah. right? Passengers as well. Now you've seen the trailer for Passengers, right, Devendra? Yeah. So Devendra, tell me what you think the premise of Passengers is. <laughs> uh, I think Chris Pratt wakes up early. In I think both Chris Pratt and. Uh, What's her face? Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. They both wake up early in like a, you know, a hundred year journey to another solar system or something. And uh, they they have a lot of space sex. That's – and there's a robot. Yeah, a lot of space sex. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So uh, Passengers. uh, Firstly, I think that's a very good plot summary based on the trailer, Devendra. Uh-huh. Uh, and what you which, don't... by the way, it looked awful from uh, <laughs> even from those trailers. I just what... it looked like boring sci-fi, which is weird because I love both of those people. What you don't know about the premise of the film? Do you like? Well, I've I've already asked you uh, before the show began, so I think yep. you're okay with me giving away the premises. Uh, yeah, these two p- passengers are on this uh, ocean, a uh, uh, space liner, right? It's like it's like uh, it's like the spaceship that's on Wally, you know, like the luxury cruise spaceship. Yeah, and. They are on a 120-year journey towards a uh, new planet to colonize. And uh, uh, by some accident, Chris Pratt wakes up 90 years early. So he, he is basically dead, right? Like, because for some reason, no one on the ship has ever conceived that this could possibly happen, like that, that, that this, something could go wrong. Right. And so he can't get back into hibernation. And... Uh, spends a, like a year of his life on the ship, like playing the games and watching the movies, and uh, you know, like trying to enjoy the comforts of the ship by himself. But he is horribly lonely and needs to He's decide. Like, I'm Chris Pratt. I need. I need a foil. He needs a foil. I, he needs to decide yeah. whether to wake someone up. Uh, and so spends a lot of time, finds J- Jennifer Lawrence's hibernation pod, uh-huh. uh, watches all of her video. Like everyone has all these like <laughs> journal videos that they've put submitted, you know, to the company. So watches all her videos, sits next to her, uh, her pod, uh, every day mm-hmm. for like weeks on end, like reading her, her writing. Cause she's a writer in the movie. Uh, it's very creepy. It's pretty creepy. Okay. Uh, and then d- makes a decision to wake her up uh, and not tell her that he's woken her up uh, okay. uh, so that they can be together because, you know, he's the only guy 
that is on the ship. So, you know, of course, they're going to get along, right? Yeah. They're both really good looking. So clearly this is presented as a shameful choice and Chris Pratt is punished for it, right? Uh, I have no comment on that. Okay. I have no comment on that except to say I was not satisfied with how the choice was presented. <laughs> uh, and, it, 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 you know, like, it's just funny that the marketing is all about, like, this space couple. But, in mm-hmm. fact, it's about one of the most horrifying decisions you can make, uh, you know, towards someone else, which is, like, condemning them to a life alone with one other person that they did not choose uh, on a ship that's in yeah. the middle of the void of space. You, so, you know, a side, uh, side talk to this. I'm not sure if I can buy Chris Pratt anymore in anything outside of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, <laughs> the movie roles he's been taking on have really been trying to play on this, like, uh, almost hunky, nice guy persona. And they don't seem to be working. At least Jurassic World really didn't. Well, it didn't work for you artistically. It certainly worked yeah. for the world from a financial yeah. perspective. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's all. But anyway, uh, so that's uh, Passengers and uh, Collateral Beauty. So in terms of Passengers, how good that movie was. Uh, I also, you know, Passengers is two awkward uh, movies grafted onto each other. It's a kind of space romance that has that horrible choice at the center of it. And then there's other kind of uh, horror thriller elements that happen with the ship later on that I'm not going to get into. But, the ship wants them to be awake. Uh, well, I, I have no comment about that. But suffice to say uh, that sci-fi thriller stuff is not super well done. And not particularly interesting. Can that robot bartender be trusted? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's a good question. The movie asks it. It doesn't have an interesting (laughs) answer. Anyway, the movie's not very good. And it's uh, made worse by the fact that there's this awful moral choice that I don't feel the movie fully reckons with. Uh, So that's Passengers. uh, And... Yeah, collateral beauty and passengers, both very deceptive marketing. Maybe because if they were, uh, if they gave away the premise, like people would be much more turned off by them. So I like how they're both being presented as holiday movies too, because that's what you want to sit and enjoy with your family. <laughs> yeah, exactly right, man. Uh, all right, uh, what else I've been watching? Another movie I just wanted to give a shout out to is Fences, the new film directed by Denzel Washington, uh, written by August Wilson. Uh, who is a very uh, famous playwright. Yeah. And, uh, the late August Wilson. Yeah. That's right, the late August Wilson. Um, uh, the plot summary of Fences reads, An African-American father struggles with race relations in the United States while trying to raise his family in the 1950s and coming to terms with the events of his life. Uh, don't have too much to say about this movie other than I think it's excellent. The performances are really good. This is uh, one of the few films that Denzel Washington has directed. And while I don't know that the visual style of the movie is uh, you know, super interesting, uh, I don't think it has to be because it is a, a big screen adaptation of a stage play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would describe the sort of visual style as competent. But here's the thing. Uh, Denzel Washington is one of the best actors alive today. And so his direction, my guess, is going to come in the form of direction to his fellow actors, yeah. which is awesome. I and mean, judging from the trailers alone, you could tell, like, man, but just throw an Oscar at that trailer, too. This right? is p- p- potentially a movie where you have Denzel Washington is acting in the movie and he might be the third best performance in the film. <laughs> like, that is how yeah. good the acting is in this movie. Um, so he does a great job as Troy Maxson. Uh, but it's Viola Davis who plays his wife, Rose Max, and that really, that is the performance that devastated mm-hmm. me. 
that mm-hmm. is the performance that really punched a hole in me. Uh, and so a lot of great performances. And um, the guy who plays uh, uh, their son in the movie is also uh, absolutely tremendous. So uh, really, it's a movie that I would recommend anyone check out, especially if you're into kind of uh, American stage plays. Jeff, I think this is your catnip. Yeah, um, I've, I've I've seen Fences on stage uh, at the in Los Angeles, and um, it's an incredible play. Yeah, it's- all, I love all of August Wilson's work. Honestly, um, I had an opportunity to meet him, in fact, uh, years and years ago uh, when he was alive, and he would he would bring his plays to Los Angeles, and I worked at the venue that he would bring them to the Mark Taper Forum. And uh, he was so cool. He would like yeah. do these. He would. I mean, I worked in the box office, right? I, I was just sold tickets. And he would go and and have these days where he would meet with all the employees that had anything to do with making people come see his plays. And uh, he would just sit around, and we could we could talk to him, and he would answer questions. And I mean, we, we were just there to sell tickets. Like we were <laughs> the least important people around, and he made time for it. It was it was really cool. Very cool. Uh, well, that's Fences. I believe it has been recently released in an Academy Award qualifying run in theaters uh, in limited release. So you can probably check it out if you live in New York and L.A. My guess is it will expand wider further. It clearly already has distribution. It has freaking Denzel Washington in it. So uh, it's going to get a home video release at some point. But it's definitely something worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of – uh, film adaptations of stage plays, you know, um, which we don't see that often. I think the last one we might have seen that was super prominent was like Doubt in 2008, mm-hmm. the John Patrick Shanley uh, film with uh, Mel Streep yeah, and Bill Seymour Hoffman. One of my favorite movies that year. Also a great film. Also a great film. But my understanding is then Denzel Washington has the rights to the entire August Wilson oeuvre. So mm-hmm. I, I, and I think. Fences is part of the trilogy that is Jitney and something else. I could I could be getting the facts wrong. I didn't look them up, but um, there's a you know the potential for him to make more of these, not necessarily even starring himself, but just sort of facilitate the creation of more of these great plays uh, on screen. So that's cool. That that would be great. I mean, I think that uh, when you talk about like Doubt and this movie. I don't know that there's that much uh, from a film perspective. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know that one of the things that uh, – and, and let me just say, I say this having made a film that is literally just a guy on stage, <laughs> right, talking for ni- like 80 But what minutes. about all those dramatic reenactments, Dave? Right. Uh, there were, that on. did not happen in the primary Aww. instinct. But my point being, uh, <laughs> something that I, I, I've uh, – when I talked with the creators of that show, The Chair on Stars, it's a great TV show – uh, they were saying, you know, uh, f- consider why the thing you're making ne- needs to be a film. Like, why does it need to be? Why could not it be a stage play or a podcast or a magazine article or a short film or whatever? And uh, I don't know that Fences justifies itself as a film, with one exception. With one exception, which is that uh, because Denzel Washington made this movie. Because uh, I believe he actually starred in the stage play fences as well. Like mm-hmm. he, he was in the actual play, mm-hmm. um, but because he made it, more Even people revival, will see. Yeah. yeah, more people will see this stage play than would than would have otherwise seen it. Right. Well, that's I, I I think that for me, like you got to see Viola Davis's performance, right? Yes. That that that's right. that for me is enough to justify putting it on film. It. it 
maybe it is not uh, taking full advantage of the right. visual medium. Yep. But the idea of recording a performance like that, I think, for me, justifies. Yeah, and and, and I think I, I think I agree with that. And w- let me be clear too: like, even if you'd gotten David Fincher to direct uh, Fences, I don't think the movie would have been that much different. Do you know what I mean? Because it luxuriates in these lengthy monologues and dialogues, and there's not that much going on visually. Uh, so I don't know that I want them to try and make a stage play into something super visually interesting that has a lot of uh, elements on screen that, you know, transitions and all this stuff that you wouldn't otherwise have. Um, so I think I agree with you, Jeff. I think just the act of filming it is enough. Uh, but uh, wanted to just point that out. Anyway, I've taken up a lot of time on what I've been watching. I'll speed through these, these last couple things. Uh, I finished Atlanta, the so uh, Don Glover series. Very good. Uh, and uh, I would recommend it to anyone. It's a beautiful show, like one of the most beautiful television shows I've seen this year. Uh, and I also finished Divorce, which I enjoyed. I watched it all the way to the end, the HBO original series. But it is an odd show, in my yeah. opinion. I saw uh, one episode of that, and I was like... I, I, yeah. I don't know if it's odd in a good way. You know, I've, I've read Willa Paskin's review of this show, and I think she points to one of the issues with it, which is that... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's character appears to occupy an entirely different uh, show than everyone else. (laughs) Like every other character on that show is some exaggerated caricature uh, and usually a terrible person. And Sarah Jessica Parker is a a decent human being who's just trying to make things work and fairly humorless herself. And uh, that clash of tones didn't quite work for me all the way. But, you know, it's a show that I watched all the way to the end because uh, primarily because of Thomas Hayden Church. I just wanted to see what he was going to do. Isn't that the definition of, of comedy? Yeah. Like uh, the, a, a, a normal character in a, in a crazy world or a crazy character in a normal world. Like that's, that's yeah. how you make a comedy. Yeah, uh, that's fair enough. It's fair enough. It's just like Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker almost seems like the main character and for her to be so – out of sync with the rest of the characters felt a little bit weird. But overall, I, I like the show and re- would recommend it. It tackles elements of divorce that I had not previously considered, right? Uh, and for that reason alone, I think it's it's worth a look. So, uh, But Jeff, sounds like you enjoyed it a, a bit more than me. I haven't gotten to the last episode yet, but I'm very, I'm, I think I have one or two uh, that are still sitting on my TiVo. But it is uh, – or uh, not TiVo. It's uh, Netflix, isn't it? Um, but uh, it's very good. I, I really, really like it. I, I think the tone is really ridiculous. You know, it's written by the same woman that did um, – Catastrophe. Uh, Catastrophe, which mm-hmm. I adore. Um, so yeah, I, I like that that voice. I think I need to give this one another shot. I did. I watched the first episode and was like, yeah, just – die in a fire all of you that's the show <laughs> i want to see because i i yeah didn't care about but they it. kind of do like the show is a slow fire for all of them <laughs> yeah uh jeff Kanata, you've been watching a lot of movies as well so we both uh, obviously watched a lot of movies since the last slash filmcast you've been watching a lot of movies as well what have you been watching jeff uh dave we have uh, i believe next week is our top 10 of the year mm-hmm. episode and i feel like i've been cramming for a test yeah, uh, because there's so many movies to watch that are contenders for the the top ten of the year, and I, I felt like I needed to be uh, up to date on as many of them as I possibly could. I still feel like there's probably a half dozen at least that I didn't get to that I should have right. that I wish that I I could be in contention for my my end of the year list. 
But uh, yeah, no, it's been crazy. I've been cramming for a test, and it's it seems like the worst test because it seems like all these movies are really heartbreaking. Uh, <laughs> there is a lot of really tough to watch movies coming out right now, or that are. It's like all of the Oscar bait, I guess. Is uh, boy, it's really rough this year. Whew. Some sad, sad movies. Uh, that's not to say they're bad, but they're it's whew, back to back to back when you're watching, uh, you know, Manchester by the Sea and Jackie and a Monster Calls and Moonlight. It's just like, oh, put myself through a lot. So Fences, uh, Fences is pretty uh, rough yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, all these movies right at the end of the year. It's just like, man, prepare your emotional life because you're going to get wrung out. Um, first one I want to start with is uh, Hell or High Water. Which, uh, Dave, you explicitly told me I did not need to see. <laughs> I also saw that. And I will never I forgive you? Yeah. Yes. What, what, what did I, wait, what do you mean? What did I say you again? You were really meh on this movie, Dave. You were like, super you said, meh. Yeah. yeah. I, I literally didn't I, go I to I don't know screening. if I said you didn't need to see. Did I say that? What did I say? You did. I, 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 <laughs> I had a screening for Hell or High Water, and you're like, oh, you don't need to go to that. It's very average. And I could not disagree more. Dave's I, recommendations strike again. I know, which is why I was like, I don't well, know about well, passengers. Maybe I don't. I, do I don't, I don't that. remember saying it's average, uh, but okay. I, I will say I liked the film. You know, it's not like I didn't like the film. You just weren't very impressed by it. I, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't think it's one of the best films of the year, which a lot of people I seem to think it is. Love it. Love. Mm-hmm. Lo- it is for me definitely one of the best films of the year. Um, it, it's it's kind of like what if Dukes of Hazard was real. <laughs> it's 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 uh, a couple of good old boys in Texas that uh, start robbing banks, and the reason why is is pretty fascinating and and fun to to discover. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Pine, uh, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is always great. Uh, the performances are great. It, the best thing about this movie is the script. There are lines in this movie. <laughs> the the best kinds of of these westerns these. Almost fable, these uh, very stylized, um, you know, uh, westerns, I guess is the term, like justified the TV show. The best thing about them is when you get these just juicy, memorable lines. There were so many, there was like four or five moments in this movie where I was like, I want to write down this line because it is so good. There's a moment where Ben Foster is um, talking to this, they're checking into a hotel. And the the hotel lady is like uh, – he, he walks up to her and he goes, ooh, you are fine. And, and she goes, oh, boy, you're trouble. And he goes, I'm the best kind of trouble. Someday when you're in your old folks' home, you're going to think back on me and giggle. <laughs> like that is a great line. I mean and there's another moment right at the beginning when uh, when Jeff Bridges is talking to this dude about the, the bank robbers. And this, this Texan guy is like, uh, well, if they – you know." If if I got a hold of them, they'd uh, nobody they, they'd uh, be hanging from a short rope, and and uh, Jeff Bridges goes, well, that would certainly simplify everything for everybody but you, and he goes, and the guy goes, only if you could find the rope. <laughs> I'm like, yes. come on, that is like, that, and it's like there's like six, seven of there those. There are little moments of like that all throughout the movie. There's there's a sequence uh-huh. where they're just like talking to a waitress, and she's like, what do, what are you not having? And yeah. like it's a whole it's a whole thing, but yeah, this I, I really enjoyed this movie too. I just saw it last night, and it's a great western, but I think also a really interesting portrait of America today. So they're really grounding it in you know issues that people are facing today. 
I 100% agree. I think there's no more movie that came out this year that is more 2016 than this one. It oh, is yeah. – it's, it's red state. It is, it is an, an explanation of why our election went it, the way it did and how people feel. It is a fascinating movie. It's a movie where dudes are breaking the law and everyone in town other than the actual law enforcement – are on their side. No, even the law enforcement seems sympathetic to what they're doing, right? Because yeah. there's the uh, the partner to uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, a guy who he just keeps like making all these racist jokes towards. But the partner is like just explaining, you know, the situation of like you know the history of how Native Americans were treated in that area too. It's like he doesn't seem super sympathetic to the bank either. But yeah, he's just doing there's, his job. The, the trickster more- coyote in the chat room says, "I feel like I need to see this now, just because people seem so divided on it." I would yeah. say that the vast majority of opinion is on Devendra and Jeff's side. Yeah, uh, everyone, a lot of people really like. Everyone it. really loves this movie. Uh, it actually did decently at the box yeah. office this summer, so uh, certainly something worth checking <laughs> out. Uh, and if you're if you find your taste don't align with mine, which you know I can't imagine how that is possible, <laughs> uh, you should check out Hell or High Water. I, I think it's movie. one of those movies. It's easier to call it a slight film or think it's not very deep, but I think there's a lot going on there. That's all. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Jeff. What else have you been watching? I saw Live by Night. The, the, uh, this is the new Ben Affleck movie that has trailers that look amazing, yeah. but that I've heard the movie itself is awful. Uh, it's not awful. Um, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> the movie's fine. Um, I thought it was very watchable. Uh, <laughs> very watchable. Put that on the poster. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's solid. Uh, it's not amazing. It's not the town. Uh, it's not you know. It, the town isn't. That's you're using words to describe the town right now, Jeff. Which so is, I don't know how not amazing. If it's I not as good as the town, very good. I thought the town was very good. It, uh, it just felt th- like a steep decline from Gone Baby Gone. I think Gone Baby Gone is clearly yeah. his high Gone, Gone Baby Gone, Argo, and The Town. It sounds like all three of those are better films than Live by Night. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. Uh, but Live by Night is not bad. Uh, I don't. I don't understand why people say it's bad. It is not bad. It is. It is too long. It. it, <laughs> it you could have edited out twenty minutes or so of it easily. Uh, it, it is a movie where they're really the stakes seem very strangely low like the, the character never seems to be in peril uh i don't <laughs> understand it's very strange it's a it's a sprawling uh gangster epic right it wants to be good fellas it wants to be um you know any of those any of those great gangster movies Goodfellas in the bayou is what it looks like yeah and i think that's that's what's really kind of interesting about it is is its setting is very different but my God, does this movie fail the Bechtel test? It is. It is. Every character is only there to be Ben Affleck's, you know, uh, actualizer. He is. Yeah. He is. He is the only reason anyone else exists in that movie. And um, it, you know, it's fine. Uh, it has a. It has a. I think a, a an ending that's that it's pretty good. And and uh, I think we're probably going to review this on slash filmcast. Okay, right? well then it's I'll my, stop. It's my guess. Um, but yeah, Live by Night. It's not even really available for people to watch right now, but it will be in the next few weeks. It's Ben Affleck's newest film. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, stay tuned for more thoughts on that later. Uh, Jeff, what else have you been watching? I saw Jackie, the uh, Jackie Kennedy biopic that yeah, stars Pablo Lorraine, right? Yeah, yeah. Not Natalie Portman. Um, I think 
if if Viola Davis is up for um, supporting actress, then I think you just hand the Oscar to Natalie Portman. Um, if they're both up for best actress, then you know it's a toss up. But uh, I think Natalie Portman's performance in this movie is incredible. I mean, it is it's a it's almost an impression, but colored with such immediacy and emotion. It's it's quite something to watch. But that's really the whole movie. It's there's there's not much to this film. It kind of wallows in a moment, and that moment is the post uh, murder of 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 JFK, the post-assassination of the president. And we live in that moment with Jackie Kennedy. And I guess that's an interesting thing to experience. Uh, It is very dreamlike film. It is very much inside her experience of dealing with that horror. Uh, But I didn't find it to be revelatory. I didn't find it to reveal anything about who she is or what her character, you know, what, what that was really like. It just was sort of an emotional place to live in for two hours. And it almost felt like there's something strange, I think, with filmmakers that just want to recreate something as authentically as they can. Um, Because that in and of itself, I don't think accomplishes anything. It's almost like creating a little diorama world. It's like, okay, well, you created a perfect little replication of this moment, but to what end? Like what what are we trying to learn from it other than how much we can create something perfectly and shoot it from different angles? Um, you know, they're, they're, at a certain point, it's like I don't need to be in the car with her when he's shot. I, I don't – that doesn't reveal anything. You don't feel me. like it, it uh, spoke towards higher uh, – some kind of higher, more relatable, universal truth about – relationships or about fame or anything like that? I mean, I think that perhaps I I didn't really get much out of the experience other than uh, admiring a very, very impressive performance. And um, yeah, it just felt like a facsimile of real life rather than any kind of investigation of real life. But that's that was my takeaway. Mm. Did you see it? I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard pretty good things overall. So I mean, it's a beautiful movie in a lot of ways. It's it's stunningly shot, and 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 Natalie Portman's performance is worth the price of admission. It just, I think, structurally and and you know, f- from a content perspective, it didn't. I didn't take anything away from it other than, wow, that's an amazing performance, and my gosh, it must have sucked to be her after he died. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, w- what I've heard is that there's just more there from the perspective of like. Uh, you, you understand how performative the role of first lady is, right? Well, I d- uh, what I d- will say is, yeah, and especially in a year when you keep, I keep thinking about the next occupants of the White House. It is a stark um, <laughs> portrait of how occupying the White House has changed in right. sixty years. Right there, you go. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I don't know. I haven't seen the movie yet, obviously. I'll share my thoughts when I have a chance to check it out. Uh, but it sounds like you, there's at least enough here for you to think it's worth recommending, Jeff, right? Yeah, I think it's it's worth seeing just for Natalie Portman alone. All right. Uh, well, that's Jackie. It's available in limited release right now. Uh, and Jeff, you've been watching a couple other the things. The hits just keep on coming, guys. I know. I saw a lot of movies. I saw a lot of movies. I was cramming for a test. Uh, I saw A Monster Calls. Um, I, have either of you seen this one? 
Not uh, no, but I've Looking heard good things. Yeah. yeah, I heard good things too. I heard you have to see this, Jeff. It is it's going to be on your top ten of the year. It is a movie made for you. It, you just uh, you got to see it. Eh, I didn't really like it, guys. I didn't really <laughs> like it. Um, I I it's a movie about uh, a little boy whose mom is sick, and uh, he sort of fantasizes about a monster. Who comes to him and sort of helps him deal with that that moment? Um, but it is not much more than that. It is it is exactly what you expect it to be. Uh, again, it's a the best description that I heard of this movie is that it is a tear jerker, and it is definitely a tear jerker. It is definitely I cried at the end, but I felt manipulated. I felt like the only reason this movie exists is to jerk my tears. It's not. It's not like it, – it doesn't earn its tear-jerking. It just is moving toward a moment that is going to make me feel something. It is just pushing me to that place with every power that it knows. You know, it, it, And I felt – it felt a little cheap that way. Um, I, I think the, the central metaphor of the monster is uh, is really – pretty on the nose you know it's it's very like the whole movie i didn't really enjoy any of it i just felt like the end was so powerful that okay well that's what why i'm here that's why i'm watching this movie is to get to this end point and feel something but everything conspired to get me here it's not like the ending was surprising or i don't know it's hard for me to explain but I did not enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a Monster Calls. And uh, finally, Jeff, you had a chance to check out Moonlight as well, right? Yeah, and um, Moonlight, like, another movie that uh, I felt like I had to see in order to get ready for the for the top ten list. And I think I've been a little bit um, negative on all these movies. And I hope people don't feel like it's because I was cramming. I know I've said I was cramming. Um, I did take the time to enjoy these movies and I didn't I, – I went into them all hoping that they would be fantastic. Um, Moonlight I think is is three movies. Uh, it's three short films that are loosely tied to one another, all about the same character. I thought the first of the short films is exquisite, uh, absolutely incredible. And I thought, oh my god, this is why everybody is – putting this on their top 10 list. I don't like where this is going, Jeff. I thought the second of the short <laughs> films was good. was very good. was good. And I thought the third of the short films was very unsatisfying and, and disappointing. Um, and I, and I, I also didn't buy that all three movies were about the same character, <laughs> even though they are. Um, I, but that first third of the movie is so exquisite it's so beautiful and so heartbreaking and and, and the empathy that it effortlessly provides uh in, in contrast to a monster calls which i think is conspiring to to get, bring you to empathy is is working so hard to to force empathy whereas moonlight the beginning of moonlight is just effortlessly providing a window into this experience that is different from my own but that I can't help but feel something for. It is so beautiful that first third. And the second third is actually is quite good too. I just found the the third third of the film 
to be very unsatisfying, very slight, and and, and you mean the last third? Yeah, that that yeah, last yeah. third of the movie, the 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 fully adult version of yeah. the character. I, w- I wish I could fight you any you know full review <laughs> in a cage match. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's nice to say we both, Devinger and I both disagree with you. About yeah, that. but yeah. Jeff, That's listen fair. to our Moonlight talk at some point, and it's definitely a movie worth to. revisiting at some point too. I intend to, uh, but yeah, I I, uh, I thought there was a lot to like. It certainly is a movie everyone should see, but I it just it didn't it didn't. Um, land on me the same yeah uh, it really feels terrible when everyone likes a movie like hell or high water right and uh <laughs> you don't share as enthusiastic response for it but you said you liked it uh very so. much so i yeah. I've, no no dave, oh, you dave. Yeah, yeah 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 we all we all like jeff like moonlight i like hell or high water everyone no one needs to die here <laughs> everyone's fine <laughs> anyway uh well that's moonlight and yeah check out davindra's uh, bonus review of that film uh, with Angie Han on the Slash Filmcast feed. Devendra Hardwar, a couple things you've been watching. Uh, yeah, I've just been catching up on uh, on some you know TV things that were just released. So the Sensei Christmas special uh, is out, and I don't, I don't, uh, Dave, you saw some Sensei. I don't know. If I have not seen a single episode of Sensei. What? Okay. <laughs> anyway, so this is going to just go way beyond you guys. But I have to say, if you like Sensei, uh, this Christmas special delivers everything you enjoy and uh this is also just a plea to uh, please please watch sensate everybody it's it's such a weird and unique and special show it definitely takes a couple episodes to keep going um but it's it's just doing things that feel so unique and so i guess yeah very unique to the wachowskis um because they've had all these themes of uh people coming together and kind of working together for such a long time i think this show is the best representation of that um it's a really interesting exploration of like uh just the power these guys have right all these people are linked psychically imagine being able to tap into like the fighting abilities of somebody uh when you're in trouble or the like um you know the, the street smarts of somebody if you're on the run from gangsters or something like it's it all comes together really well uh but what's always worked well about sensei is the characters and kind of how they react or interact and i think the christmas special does that all very well it's more of what we love from these characters and also just some insanely shot scenes right because this show is shot all over the world there are sequences where they need the characters who are set all over the world in one location right so just imagine the logistics (laughs) of filming this show right there's a scene where everybody comes together for like a birthday party celebration and all the characters are in like mexico then they're all in africa then they're all in the mediterranean just like man like it, it's just on a technical level kind of impressive to see but it's also very meaningful too so i love these this show i love these characters i wish more people were watching it um i've also uh, started watching the oa i'm pretty much halfway through that and this is the new Brit Marling show on Netflix. And actually has, it, it to me feels very thematically similar to Sense8. Uh, it is kind of mysterious. And I can't even reveal really what the show is about without really spoiling it. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's as successful. Uh, there is a, it, it hinges more on the mystery uh, and trying to like figure out what's going on in the show. But I don't think the characters are as strong. Narratively, it's all over the place. Um, it, it feels like a TV show made by people who've never seen TV before. 
And I think that could be a good thing or it could be a really bad thing if you don't know how to tell a story properly. So I'm less into the OA, uh, but I can understand why some people dig it. Uh, like it's Let one me of those just things- say I, I've mm-hmm. seen the, the first episode of the OA. Uh, yeah. This is the, I think, third collaboration between uh, Britt Marling, who helped to write the OA, yeah. and Zal Batmanglich, who uh, is the director. They've collaborated on a few things, mm-hmm. including, I think, uh, like The Sound of My Voice is a film they made, which uh, I actually thought there are a lot of great qualities about that film. Uh, this is my least favorite thing that they've done <laughs> that I've seen. Uh, if I, like, I, Dave, I, I, if I were to tell you what this show is really about – you would you would like punch me in the I face. I would rage quit. Yeah. I mean, I've already you, you I've already rage quit the show. That was one of the yeah. worst first episodes. The first of, episode's not good of a sci-fi series I've seen. Like yes. it, it, it was, it plays like a parody of serialized sci-fi television. Uh-huh. The second it, and third yeah. episodes, I think, set things up a bit better. But yeah, there are, there are sequences and instances in the show which are would seem hilarious and baffling like yes. it would seem like a saturday night live sketch it, it's it's on 30 Martin rock movie. like when you see the yeah. fake uh sci-fi tv show in the background yes. like that's yes. what this is that's what it feels like like if you're not invested in these characters and what's going on it is all of it ridiculous so yeah. i'm not as into it but i know people who dig it so that's fine um, I, I think it's also- awful and you should not waste your time with it <laughs> and like brit marling someone who i think is so talented like we we reviewed the keeping room in 2016 like Mm -hmm. she was so good in that she is an immense talent like i I, i'm a huge fan of these people and their work it just this is one that i feel like is not representative but you're also talking about it from the first episode and let me just oh oh, i have i have uh, (laughs) i i mean like here's a you know this is actually an interesting uh topic is i i felt like I could not speak with authority about how bad this was unless I had watched the whole show. Uh-huh. But I hated the first episode so bad. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking like maybe I should watch the finale, which I've I've already read what happens in the finale, and it sounds yeah. like if anything, That's my my language w- about how you shouldn't see the show would only get stronger. As, it also uh, it doesn't. Like that's not a convincing argument, right? The only way you could make that argument, I guess, is to really watch all of it and correct, to know like correct. where it goes. So I, I resent the fact that I need to watch all of it in order <laughs> to tell you to not see it. That being said, yeah. So it's it's more like you didn't like the first episode, and that's it. Like you can't. I didn't like, like the first yeah. episode. I read about everything else that happens in the series. <laughs> I feel you confident. Everything. Else. I feel confident in warding you off. But okay, Devinder, yeah. you can. Have it it does feel like a show that actively hates the viewer sometimes. Like it. It sometimes ends with like big bold dramatic music on like a nothing reveal. So it does feel like it's trolling me sometimes. So my wife is more into it than I am, so I'm just slowly making it through it like that. Uh yeah, interesting project. And sort of the only thing this is one of those things that I couldn't see existing outside of the Netflix model. Um, which means, you know, uh, yeah, that could lead to really cool and interesting things like Sense Eight, uh, which is also a lot of people find problematic for the same reasons. And you know, not all of those experiments will work. All right, and well, that's the OA. Thing, uh, yeah. And yeah, last thing, Devendra. Last thing I would just want to mention is the Homecoming podcast from Gimlet Media. Not sure if you guys have heard about this, but this is a podcast starring Oscar Isaac, Catherine Keener, a whole bunch of people. David Cross is in this, Amy yes. Sedaris. It is it their is, first entry into mm-hmm. fictionalized narrative uh, yeah. by Gimlet Media, which is pretty much the preeminent podcast company in the world today, I would say. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that makes it sound like they're bigger than they are just because podcasting is so tiny at this point. But yeah, I remember when Gimlet was starting, uh, there, there were a couple of podcasts about just um, 
uh, who was the he was a radio guy from uh, NPR, right? From Planet Money, I think, or one of those shows. But he was starting this. Uh, it's they've been doing really cool things. I like some of their shows. This is definitely the most interesting. This is like a radio drama. And Alex I Bloomberg have, is who we were thinking of. Alex Bloomberg, yeah. yeah. I've tried to get into some fictional podcasts. Uh, there are a whole bunch. There's Limetown, uh, and I I just can't really get into them. I think for the same reason I, I find it hard to get into audiobooks. Uh, it's hard for me to follow a narrative over audio. Uh, but here, this show at least, I think does a pretty good job. All the actors are great. And it is kind of great hearing Oscar Isaac and Catherine Keener whispering in your voice. And it's all about like a mysterious uh, military project that they're all involved with. Uh, worth checking out. And I think it's only six episodes long, too, so you could get through it pretty quickly. This, has, uh, this project has sparked a bidding war for uh, the film rights to it, and so I imagine we'll be seeing a film version of it, although I've heard from people who have listened to Homecoming <laughs> that uh, they don't know if it would work quite as well. Yeah, I, d- I don't know what the point of that would be, yeah. but okay. Because uh, everything has to be turned into a film, I guess. G- Gimla Media, let me just say, is... Uh-huh is infuriating for the following reason. They are so ridiculously good at what they do. Yeah. Uh, it is very well, kind of... was like, he's a radio... He's, he was a radio guy for, for a long time. For, right? for a really Which, long time. Know, but he's so. like, you know, they're like... Um, you know, they took this thing that's like... Uh, a thing that some people do on the side, like us. We podcast on the side, right? And then they are putting... Uh, the weight of millions of dollars worth of venture capital and literally the best people in the world at podcasting are working at that company. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's just like, wow, <laughs> like you got you to gotta admire what they're doing. But also, man, like it's kind of – I don't know. I don't think it's not fair, but it's just like no one else really has a chance at this point because they are one of the few people that's just doing what they're doing. They're, they're like the EA of podcasts. You know, they just – no <laughs> one else. I think, I think you're overstating how big they are. But if you listen to like – what was it? The Startup Podcast, which was all about how uh, Alex Bloomberg was trying to get this together. Like he had no idea what he was doing. It was fraught with failure. Like there, there's an interview with him in the VC early on where the yeah, was it's like, pretty you brutal. have no idea what you're talking about, do you, sir? Um, you're and overstating yeah, they, they, the power of EA. <laughs> exactly. All I right. Think they, they, uh, you're, you're right. It's not, it is not a company that has thousands of people, but it is a yeah. company that uh, has dozens, if not hundreds, of you know, the most talented podcasters. Right it's now, a company so. whose existence entirely relies on the success of podcasts. And you know, we're, we're doing this show for fun, uh, but our livelihoods would not be destroyed if it falls apart uh, or if podcasting in general goes away. Uh, it, life will be Speak kind of for yourself, yeah. Devendra. Yeah. Speak for yourself. Speak indeed. for yourself. Uh, all right, Sensei Christmas special, the OA and Homecoming. That's what Avengers has been watching, and that is what we've been watching this week, ladies a lot, and gentlemen. A lot of stuff, guys. Lots of stuff. All right, before we get to our review of Assassin's Creed, we got to thank all the people who donated to the Slash Filmcast. A lot of donors this week. Uh, a lot of people donating huge amounts this week. Whoa! And so we got to thank all the people who threw some money our way. Christmas uh, gifts. Yes, Christmas gifts. That's right. There can be a Christmas now, Jeff. There can oh, be a Christmas. Thank God. Now. Eric F. from Brooklyn, New York, Utam uh, <clears throat> Utam Chandani from Singapore, Thomas B. from Japan, Bruce M. Chad from Los Angeles, Cody P. from Alberta, Canada, Tim P. from Germany, Nolan from Holliston, Massachusetts, Gary T. from Austin, Texas, Greta from Chicago, longtime listener, Evan M. from Chappaqua, New York. Thanks so much for your contributions. Thanks also to the people who signed up to donate at the rate of $2 per month, Adam Karputska, Mats Ekstrand, 
Broderick Gords, Michael Kingery, and Alton Marshall. I think that's everyone. Wow, so much generosity from our listeners. Thanks for donating. If you want to support what we do here on the Slash Filmcast, go to SlashFilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. It really makes a difference, uh, especially this time of year. So thanks to everyone who donated. And that's going to bring us to our review of Assassin's Creed. Where am I? At 6 p.m. yesterday evening, you were executed and pronounced dead. You no longer exist. What kind of prison is this? It's not a prison. You're about to enter the Animus. What you're about to see, hear, and feel are the memories of your ancestor, who has been dead for 500 years. Your past. Welcome to the Spanish Inquisition. That was from the trailer of Assassin's Creed, uh, which is the newest film starring Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. It's directed by Justin Kurtzel. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. When Callum Lynch explores the memories of his ancestor Aguilar and gains the skills of a master assassin, he discovers he is a descendant of the Secret Assassin's Society. So uh, this is a movie that is the latest effort from a movie studio, in this instance Fox, to try and make a profitable, (laughs) critically acclaimed video game film. And it certainly seemed like they had a lot of the – I think it's that first one that's more important to everybody than that second one. But yes. (laughs) Uh, It is a movie that certainly had a lot of things going for it. It had a period setting. You have Oscar-nominated actors in uh, some of the main roles. You have a director who has a lot of buzz around him who who directed some really well-regarded indie films prior to this point. Uh, You got all this stuff going for you. You got all this stuff going for you. Uh, And, you know, a a, a couple months ago, I predicted that Assassin's Creed, the movie, would be both a critical and box office failure. Uh, that it would it would struggle at the box office and be reviewed very really, poorly. Uh, you really went out on a limb there, huh, Dave? You really, yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, well, I went out on a limb on the slash filmcast because Jeff Kanata sh- shouted me down on that. Episode. I was hopeful, Dave. <laughs> I had hope in my heart. Don't you uh, understand this dynamic yet, Dave? Jeff has the hope. We have everything else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Everything, literally everything else. But you know what? I cling to that hope. <laughs> Assassin's Creed made $13 million in its first four days. So uh, the first – you know, part of my uh, prediction was definitely true is that it did not do well at the box office. It's, it's going to really struggle to make it to $120 million budget yeah. that it had. Uh, but what about critically? What about artistically, Jeff Kanata? Do you feel like this is the first great video game movie? Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I did have a lot of hope going into this. Uh, even back when we reviewed Macbeth, I said, well, you know, I don't like this movie, but it's so beautifully shot. Maybe that means Assassin's Creed's going to be amazing because <laughs> same team, really, same team. Um, man, the talent in this movie is just squandered. It is such a talented cast. God, I love Jeremy Irons so much. Jeremy Irons is so rad. That dude needs to work more. And you know what I, I had the thought this week? As much as I love me some Ian McKellen, 
old Jeremy Irons would have been a such a rad Magneto. Like he is that such a. Been... Hey, oh. there's still time for that, Jeff. Yeah, yeah it's true. Still time. Yeah. Um, Fastbender's great. Marianne Cotillard. They're they're very talented people. Uh, what the hell are they doing in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they even know what they're saying. Does this happened. movie have writers? Because yeah. So. Assassin's Creed has never been my favorite game franchise, but mm-hmm. it, it is a special game franchise because it has the courage to actually have settings that are different and interesting and mm-hmm. have value. Like I've always – as much as I never really loved the games that were Assassin's Creed, I always loved wandering around in the exquisitely recreated historical settings that were mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed. And the fact that this franchise of video games – each installment was a completely different time period and you you went from uh you know Constantinople to the American Revolution to uh ancient Italy it, it is such an interesting thing to be able to walk around in those environments and you know rub elbows with da Vinci and all those things i, I thought I always thought that was cool and i thought that the conceit of those video games where you know you have someone in the future who is going back kind of going back in time, but kind of reliving these past lives of his ancestors. Yeah, I had a hope that this could make a really great movie. This is not a great movie. This is a very <laughs> bad movie. And uh, it, it just, it actually starts out kind of interesting. And there's one sequence in the movie that is basically a cutscene from the video game done yes. live action. Yeah. That's really cool. It's really genuinely cool. Like it's it's that parkour stuff. It's running through uh, rooftops that you do. Great in the choreography. Yeah. Yeah. But it is not a long sequence. <laughs> it's not long enough to, to save this movie. And there is a very clear point about two thirds of the way through this movie where it absolutely collapses under the weight <laughs> of its own nonsense. It it is it just stops making any sort of sense whatsoever. But that's also like every Assassin's Creed game too. Like to yeah. be fair, it is set in that universe. This is they're not like ripping it outside of the universe. It is like tying into all the games as well. But it changes things for no good reason from the game. Like yeah. it doesn't change anything from the game for the better. It, it, and I'm not saying like oh you should have been more uh you know more more true to the game. I think that there definitely should have been big changes, but none of the changes that they made were for the better. <laughs> There's this bizarre thing in the video game, right? And I guess this is spoilers for the video game and the movie, but who cares? It's terrible. Uh, uh, and, it's, and I think it's – if you know anything about Assassin's Creed, it's obvious. It's in the trailer yeah. if you're right. talking about the, so you, the stuff. You, you lie down in a thing in the video game and they plug you in. It's called the you, Animus. The Animus, right? right? But who cares, right? It's a thing <laughs> that you lie down in. Uh, and uh, – they you you, know, you you can like live out the life of your one of your ancestors and in mm-hmm. the game it's you know and in the movie it's a big deal that the pl- player character the the main role it has ancestors who were in this assassins uh, uh group but in the game you lie down in the thing and they plug you in and you go in and you do it in the like mo- the matrix right yeah in the movie for some reason <laughs> It is a thing that you put around your waist that will hoist you into the air and dance you around the room because right. in the movie, for some reason, you actually 
You're actually do. doing the actions in real life. Yeah. All the crap that you do in the in the but also in the movie, for some reason, they make it explicitly clear and maybe I just got this wrong, but it seems to me they made it explicitly clear that you're just on a ride. You are Yeah, you, yeah, you, you can't you, change you, anything. You can't change anything. You're just experiencing it. <laughs> I can I can understand why they made that change just because the Matrix comparisons are very, very like visible with the game. And if you were to do that again in the movie, like just jacking people into this alternate world would seem repetitive. And I think the machine is just more visually interesting. So yeah, it's a change. I don't think it's a smart one, but I can understand why, you know, they felt the need to be a little different. And so every action sequence at any moment that it is interesting or cool or there's some fun choreography, for some reason, yeah. we are we intercut this ridiculous idiot <laughs> dancing around the way. an empty room, yeah. uh, doing the same choreography in an empty room, and we're constantly reminded of this super dumb thing <laughs> that is basically me in VR. Like, the, the thing in VR you never want to see, which is yourself outside of VR, <laughs> is constantly being shown in this movie. It, does, uh, it it is a it is a very odd choice because it rips you out of the like you're all this millions of dollars of uh you know this uh CG construction and the, all the extras and the costuming and the design and then uh you're you're immersed in this world and then the the movie keeps ripping you out of the world by intercutting it with yes. Michael Fassbender in the modern day actually doing all the stuff he's doing in in the you know Everything past. cool that happens in this movie is completely undermined by that conceit. So that's not even my biggest problem with the movie. That's just to point out that even the cool stuff <laughs> is ruined yeah. in this movie. But And there's some cool stuff. There's some cool fight scenes, I guess. And that, like I said, that one sequence that's like directly from the video game, if you're a fan of the video game, it's like, oh, well, this is what I paid my money to see is like the video game in live action done with cool actors. Like you get that for like – Five minutes. The rest of the movie, which <laughs> spends so much time in the present day constructing this absolutely asinine <laughs> conceit for why Michael Fassbender is there. First of all, we don't care anything about Michael Fassbender. Like he, he is, his character is not – I guess we have one flashback right at the beginning of him as a little boy that we're, yeah. that's supposed to do all the work of making us care for him, which it does not. <laughs> Um, but every moment that we are not back in time, which is most of the movie is completely terrible. And this movie has, you know, um, Alfred Hitchcock famously coined the term MacGuffin to create a reason. This movie has the most MacGuffin MacGuffin of all time. <laughs> it's so MacGuffin-y. It's kind of crazy. It is. Let, let me, it, so let me read the plot summary, uh, Entertainment Weekly. They, they did a good plot summary of this movie, okay? Darren Franich over at Entertainment Weekly. Uh, and there, there are arguably some plot spoilers in here, but like Jeff said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Cal is rescued from death row by Sophia, who works at the mysterious organization Abstergo. And she needs Cal because, and take a deep breath, I'm going for it. 
Abstergo is the corporate arm of the Knights Templar, and the Knights Templar want to end free will, and to do that, they need to find the artifact known as the Apple of Eden, because the <laughs> Apple of Eden holds the genetic code of free will, and the of Apple of Eden holds the genetic code of free will, because shrug emoji. And once Abstergo <laughs> gets the Apple of Eden, they will use it to destroy free will by shrug emoji, and Cal is descended from one of the last people, Aguilar, to hold the Apple of Eden, and Abstergo has a machine that can use Cal's genetic data to access the memories of his long-dead ancestors, and the machine turns those memories into holograms, and if Sophia watches Cal relieve Aguilar's life, then the holograms will show her where the Apple of Eden is, so free will can be destroyed. It's it, it's insane, and it, <laughs> it literally there's we have no we have no understanding of how the Apple of Eden works or why it works. It literally <laughs> it destroys an abstract concept somehow. <laughs> but and and the, and another thing you point you you brought up in that little description is that this movie is like the perfect. The perfect metaphor for uh, watching someone else play a video game, right? <laughs> like this movie – this or like turning a video game into a movie because yeah. it literally is a guy goes in to play a thing and everybody else just stands around and watches <laughs> what happens next. Like it, it is so insane that their whole plan is just let's just watch what happens to see where the thing ends up. And they just keep churning, I guess, churning through people. To, oh, they didn't get close enough to it. They didn't yeah. get close enough to this it. This is we why gotta... I'll never understand Twitch, by the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Who could defeat Dark Souls 3? Let's just, let's <laughs> just go down the gauntlet. I mean, I know a lot of people love that. And I've, I've, yeah. I watch esports. I, I'm, it's fun watching very skilled people do a thing. But, man, this movie makes that, that metaphor explicit. It's literally yeah. people watching a dude be an idiot. <laughs> and and then try to get something from that. And the thing that they're trying to get, it, it literally it makes no sense. And then I don't want to spoil the ending, but the guy like almost uses it, but it doesn't even. There's no sense of what it's gonna do or not do. It, like, what is it? What does that even happen? What? It's so that the, the movie collapses under its own nonsense. It makes no goddamn sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> What's weird to say, it never even starts making sense right i think from the moment people start uttering words the movie like nothing about it makes sense it's kind of hilarious so davindra uh <laughs> yeah i think jeff's feelings are i would say moderately clear about the movie <laughs> uh davindra what did you think of it i actually think this is one of the best video game movies ever made guys <laughs> but also also one of the worst video game movies ever made because it's everything Jeff has been saying, right? When you're in the animus, when you're in the VR world, uh, it looks amazing. Like uh, Justin Kurtzel, like his style, uh, some of the stuff we saw in Macbeth, uh, the way they portray those sequences. Yeah, there, there is a public execution yes. that happens in this movie uh, so, that it, is just brilliantly realized. It, it yeah. just it, every component of it, from the extras, you know, to the to the main action in the center, everything about it, I just thought was so good. And, and it, you get yeah. you get a sense of what this movie could have been. It feels like a video game too, because whenever you jump into those worlds, it's just like it's not like you're seeing them travel from place to place, right? It's just oh, here's the setup, here's the environment, here's the target, and this is what's going on. And uh, yeah, it it usually just looks amazing. I think all the action in that world too is pretty good. There's a sequence Jeff mentioned, but I think there, there there are also things all around where there's just great choreography, great action. That is, you know, that's the movie people are paying to see, and I think people who are aren't even fans of the game can really enjoy. Uh, and then there's like the other 75% of the movie, which is set in the real world, which is complete nonsense, 
feels like the laziest storytelling ever. And it's weird, too, because it, it just feels like they didn't even try, right? Like uh, Marion Cotillard's character, uh, she says she's trying to cure violence in humanity with this apple or something. And that that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> like, what? Is violence our problem? It's genetic. It's genetically encoded, Dindra, the, the proclivity yeah. to violence. Your, your but, family like, how? but like, how? Her, <laughs> so you're a murderer. And explain, then, yeah. explain one second just how are you going to cure violence exactly? Like, how yeah. is that going to work? It, it, you know what? It is odd that for a movie that spent so much time explaining how the Animus works, uh-huh. that they give no explanation to how the MacGuffin works, right? right? Well, I mean, a MacGuffin, you don't even need to explain how it works, right? It should just it should make sense within the context of the film, right? You don't need to explain specifically the mechanics of it but i want to know why it's important to these people but why it's important to these people is ridiculous as fuck like nothing just nothing works there and it's not that hard to just tweak it a little to be like okay maybe this would unlock some you know instead of saying you're trying to cure violence try to say you're you want world peace because that's what she really wants and it doesn't sound like the dumbest shit ever written. <laughs> like that's it just change your perspective and, like, you could have most of the elements that are in this movie if they just r- talked about them better in a way that made sense and with motivations that people could actually understand. Uh, you know, a lot of this would work. And I'm not super familiar with the myth- mythology of the series, but I think there is there is something to do with, like, ancient aliens or something trying to influence humanity, right? Like, I, I haven't followed it too much. But that's I think that's partially where the whole Apple thing comes from, too. So, like, maybe these aliens who've, like, been influencing us have, like, put this have had this thing uh that we've been trying to hide but yeah nothing in the real world makes sense it's it's just kind of a joke it's hilarious let me say a few good things about assassin's creed uh because this has largely been a hate fest and that's fine because the movie is not very good but uh here's what's good about it firstly as you guys pointed out the action's actually pretty good the uh way it's they it's shot well, like it's beautifully, like the production design is beautiful. Uh, it faithfully represents the game, in my opinion. In fact, when I tweeted out that plot description, a lot of people said, "Yep, that sounds like the game." So doesn't make sense. Yep. Um, you know, insofar as the game doesn't make sense, the movie also doesn't make sense. So that's kind of a virtue, I guess. Uh, yeah, but but can I just really quick interject that? At le- it leaps into sort of the deep lore of the game mm-hmm. rather than bringing you into the like. Yeah, this is it's a movie like a about deep cut. You know, it's called <laughs> Assassin's Creed, right? So maybe we have a moment where the guy goes in and discovers that his his ancestors were assassins and assassinates somebody. Right? Maybe there's an assassination that happens at the beginning because no, the first time we're in it, it's like the most deep, complex, insane, nutso stuff. <laughs> instead of sort of bringing you into that world gradually and and making you grow accustomed to the density of of the lore. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's yeah. no there. Yeah, it, it feels like they don't they didn't know how to handle this narrative, so they were just throwing everything at you. But here's something that I would say the movie actually does better than the game, okay? Which is that I think the story of Assassin's Creed and the Animus makes more sense as a movie than as a game. Because the premise of Assassin's Creed is that you're going in and reliving these memories. But Mm -hmm. if you're playing the game, if you are controlling the character, 
It makes no sense that you're actually reliving. You know, are you really reliving exactly what's going on? Sure. Um, with the with the game, it, it doesn't have this <laughs> stupid idea that you can't change anything. The whole right. the whole idea of the game is you go back and do some stuff, do stuff instead well, of just like, well, let's watch a movie of this guy. No, no, no but you do stuff. Time. But then, like, if you, but like, really, how does did, that uh, make sense? Did, right? did, yeah, does... did your did your past self jump fifty times in the same <laughs> spot like I'm doing right now? You know, like it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like the I, I, game I doesn't in, make any sense. Is what I'm saying. Game, and you, you could arguably least... get like desynchronized in the right, game, right. you know, and like you lose synchronization. But I think it makes more sense in a movie ver- format mm-hmm. than it does in a game format. Marginally, it's not like it makes a huge bunch of sense in the in a movie format. But it makes somewhat more sense in the movie format. So anyway, uh, so those are the things that the movie does well, and uh, <laughs> everything else is a, a disaster, as you guys have pointed out. So yeah. Also, there's I mean, a lot of shirtless fastbender. If you're into that, a lot of shirtless fastbender. I actually do kind of like it when great actors commit to genre material, but uh, not like this. Not like not this. like this. there are there are entire scenes between Marianne Cotillard and Jeremy Irons where I'm convinced they had no idea what they were saying. (laughs) I'm convinced of it. You can watch them walk down a hallway talking to each other and neither of them could give less of a shit what's going on. (laughs) Michael Kenneth Williams is is in this movie and uh, guys, like every single thing he says just sounds terrible. (laughs) Like he, you could almost see his contempt for the script and the material in his delivery because yeah i, I want a super cut of just his lines because it sounds like the worst it sounds like a 90s superhero movie because nothing makes sense and it's all ridiculous yeah it's nonsense uh i don't even think we need to get the spoilers no but- i want to say one more thing <laughs> there's one point there's one point where <laughs> i mean the whole idea of of like him dancing around this empty room and like the the machine sort of like facilitating all of the weird moves that he would need to do is it's just so bad shit like it's so hilarious that he, he's basically doing like a black box performance of of a play you know like a one man show uh, where he, like the machine is is moving him around so that if he needs to be on a ladder he can like he, pantomime he's, the he's, ladder he's doing a version of Emma Stone's one woman show from La La Land <laughs> yeah in this in this uh, but, movie. There's one moment where he, you know, famously from the game, you know, you jump off a tall thing and he <laughs> he jumps off a tall thing and evidently, the, you know, the machine knows and so like facilitates that for him and, and like, you know, hovers him in midair as he's like dreamily <laughs> falling to the earth in his, in his, you know, past life. And he does it and he lands with a, this crushing, powerful break of the machine yeah. And Marianne Cotillard goes, the leap of faith, <laughs> which is like – that's what it's called in the game, right? That's what it's called in the game. Right. But, and <laughs> it's like he did the super move you know, and she recognized it and it was like – totally this, recognized it. It is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Apparently like, in the – so like to actually do it, they did have like a really, really crazy high free fall for the stunt double. So it's weird how they, they even had that, right? They had the authenticity of doing something like that and they ruined it by flashing back to the stupid machine. Je- Jeff, my question is, right, like is there a version of this movie where the animus is like Matrix style like you said, Devendra, <laughs> where he's just sitting in a chair, right? 
Yes. And they plug him in, and then you just live it all out with him in the past. The, the, Would that the have been better? The movie that's not stupid is that you <laughs> flip-flop the percentages, and it's 75% yes. back in time yes. and yeah. 25% yeah. modern day. Like the because, first game. The first game was mostly you back in time and like 10% modern day. Yeah, All of the games are like that. There's yeah. a very small amount of the games that are in, in present day or you know the future or whatever. Uh, and, and that's the that's the interesting shit. That's the fun, cool stuff. Uh, that, yeah. Right. So that's why that's how you make that not seem stupid. And Matrixy <laughs> is you literally it's just a scene of him sitting in a thing getting plugged in, and then the whole movie is back in time, figuring it out, understand like understanding who you are in that old time con- conflict about whether or not you're going to assassinate someone or not assassinate. It's like. Have, give him some agency. The, the the problem with only living out thing and not being able to change it is the only agency you can give your main characters is in the present day. So that's where most yeah. of your movie yeah. has to take place. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think uh, that's the last word on Assassin's Creed. None of us liked it. And can't, it seems like for huge... the trilogy. Um... Yeah, right? it definitely sets up for a sequel. It's going to happen. That will never. Uh, actually, yeah, they have said, I think, right? <laughs> no, I don't know if it's going to happen after this weekend. But yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. This could be one of those movies that is saved by overseas box office, so maybe. But it does feel like a lot of things went wrong, mostly at the script level uh, for this one. Which yeah, is a bummer. yeah, I would say. Like the, the, the framework of this movie... It feels like nobody really cared about the material. It feels like even the script itself has contempt for it, right? The apple, like not even trying to hide the apple and the MacGuffin and like what all that represents and having people constantly refer to the apple. And it's just so stupid. Come on. Like try harder. All right. That's our review of Assassin's Creed. Stay tuned for what we'll be reviewing next week. But in the meantime, where can we find more of your work on the internet, Devendra? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I do uh, write about tech and gadget.com. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, we just did our end of the year uh, top five list, so check that out. I think it's a, it's a fun episode. And uh, I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. Uh, find my film, The Primary Instinct, at theprimaryinstinct.com. Before we get to what we're doing next week, uh, I do want to mention that some news just broke as we're live recording the slash filmcast. Oh, boy. Uh, Carrie Fisher has passed away at the age oh, of Oh, come on, oh, 2016. Jeez. Come on. Uh, huge bummer. God damn um, it. And, yeah, she's obviously played uh, one of the most iconic characters in movie history. Uh, and it is a brilliant script doctor, a, a very funny mm-hmm. comedian, novelist, just a yeah. huge talent. And she was in the, the Force Awakens, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, and one assumes she will be in Episode Eight. Yeah, um, very possible. So anyway, uh, oh, very very upsetting, very sad. Uh, but she certainly has made lasting contributions to popular culture, and uh, she will be missed. Anyway, wanted to give a shout out to her uh, before we wrap things up for today next week on the Slash Filmcast we'll be discussing our top 10 films of 2016 so tune in for that uh, it should be a lot of fun thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast the official podcast of SlashFilm.com he watched the movies flicks tracks for the good bad it's the Slash
Hi, I'm Jessie Ware. I'm Lenny. And we're from the Table Manners podcast. And this week we're sponsored by Uniqlo. I'd really like to bring to your attention Uniqlo Airism. So it's a base layer that releases heat and moisture to keep you feeling cool. So Airism fabric includes antimicrobial and deodorizing features to help you stay feeling fresh. And Airism so lightweight and it's really, really super smooth, which stays invisible beneath the clothes. You can wear this layer and still be really cool. And it's soft. It's really it's soft. soft. Gorgeous. So discover Airism now in Uniqlo stores and online at uniqlo.com. 